0: Welcome to Recycle by Eurosport, a retrospective series on the most compelling, the most controversial and the most extraordinary riders and races in cycling history. Written by Felix Lowe and narrated by me, Graham Wilgos. Last time out, we travelled back to 1919, the year that Eugène Christophe won the Tour's first yellow jersey. He was teased by fans for it. They called him Christophe the Canary, and despite being the race's first leader in yellow, he would never win the Tour. In this edition of Recycle, we look back at a man who has won five, and the year the greatest road cyclist of all time, Eddie Merckx, broke rival Louis Akania by almost winning two stages in one day during the 1972 Tour de France. Eddie Merckx's 1972 campaign was named by Peloton magazine as the greatest season ever. That year, the Belgian legend helped himself to three monument wins, a second Giro Tour double, and the hour record. But one man stood between the cannibal and his fourth Tour win Spaniard Luis Ocaña. The 1972 Tour was decided in Provence and the Alps with six successive stages on the high stuff, kicking off with an ascent of Mont Ventoux on stage 11. Most intriguing, though, was stage 14. A split stage on Monday the 17th of July, which began with a 51km ride from Briançon to Valois and was followed by the 151km Schlepp that same afternoon to Aix-les-Bains. Stage 14A was essentially a long ride up the Loterie and the south side of the Glibier ahead of the fast descent to Valois. Let's set the scene. A year earlier, Merckx would probably not have won his third tour had his big rival, Acania, not crashed out of the race. The Belgian was more than eight minutes down on Arcagna, entering the 14th stage when they both crashed hard on the descent of the Col de Mente. While Merckx remounted, Ocagna suffered a bad shoulder injury after Dutchman Joop Zotemelk ploughed into him at high speed while grappling with a puncture. With Ocagna forced out and Merckx effectively guaranteed the tour, it was later dubbed the most famous fall in Tour de France history by author Christopher S. Thompson. Akanya's subsequent comments about Merckx being an undeserving winner that year did not go down well at Shea Eddy. The feud boiled over into the 1972 season and Paris Nice, where a nasty crash in a bunch sprint on one of the early stages resulted in a broken vertebra for Merckx. It would count among the worst injuries of his career. Akanya ramped up the mind games by stressing that there was nothing wrong with Merckx, while Merckx's doctor advised the reigning world champion to quit, saying, It's as if you've fallen from the third floor of a house. Barely able to ride out of the saddle, Merckx still, amazingly, finished Paris-Nice second overall and won San Remo just three days later. After a fruitless cobbles campaign, Merckx did the Liège-Fleche double, then went on to win four stages of the Giro en route to a third Malia Rosa. The Tifosi were so impressed that many of them knelt down on the side of the road as he passed, and the race organizers reportedly insured Merckx for 40 million Belgian francs for the flight back from Sicily to the mainland. And so, on to the 1972 tour for his renewed rivalry with Acania. In the Pyrenees, the Spaniard put down an early marker with an attack on the Obisque, which Merckx covered before Ocania punctured on the Solor. The Belgian attacked, and Ocagna crashed while chasing back, accentuating the bad blood between the two riders. Merckx took the upper hand at Luchon and then sandbagged Ocagna on Ventoux, leading the Spaniard to lament that he and his team were being treated like lepers. The scene was set for the Alps, which Merckx entered in yellow with a 2-minute, 39-second advantage over Frenchman Cyril Guimard and 2 minutes, 56 seconds over Ocagna. The first classic stage in the Alps spirited the riders from Ossière to Briançon via the Col de Var and Col de Zouard. Merckx's Maltini team set a fierce pace that eliminated all but 16 riders on the Var, And, with Acania pedalling through Paella, the Belgian had ridden clear near the summit before being caught by Guimard on the descent. But on the Isouard, Merck soloed clear to take victory in Briançon. Ocagna rallied to limit his losses on the day to 1 minute and 41 seconds ahead of the brutal split stage a day later, which he would start trailing his big rival by almost five minutes on GC. 47 years on, both the VAR and the Isouard featured in stage 18 of the 106th edition of the Tour, coming before an ascent of the Galibier via the Col de Loterie. The 208 km stage saw the riders rise above 2,000 metres on no less than three occasions and finish with a breakaway win for Nairo Quintana in Valois, courtesy of his attack on the Galibier. With Egan Bernal also moving into second overall, it wasn't a bad day for Colombia. For Merckx and the 1972 peloton, however, the Galibier was reserved until the next morning and stage 14A. It was the 37th time that the Tour had tackled the mountain since its introduction by Henri Degrange in 1911, when Émile Georges crested in pole position. A year later, Eugène Christophe, the first man to don the Tour's yellow jersey, went over the top first before declaring, It's not sport anymore. It's not racing. This is just hard labour. There were calls for the mountain to be scrapped from the Tour route, but Degrange was having none of it. According to the author Daniel Freib in Mountain High, Nothing could persuade de Grange that the Glibier wasn't the jewel in his and the tour's crown. He was besotted, calling the inclusion of the Glibier his act of adoration towards the tour. O Sapé! O Laffray! O Colbeillard! O Tourmalet!» he wrote in Lotto, itemising climbs that now shrunk by comparison with his new talisman. «I will not shirk from my duty in proclaiming that, compared to the Glibier, you are no more than pale and vulgar babies, Faced with this giant, we can do no more than tip our hats and bow. A large monument to the tour's founder, built at the summit in 1949, nine years after his death, is dedicated to the glory of Henri de Grange, 1865-1940. Former director of the newspaper Lotto, founder of the cyclists Tour de France. Until 1976, riders passed over the summit at 2,556 metres through a 365-metre tunnel below the ridgeline. But when this was closed for safety reasons, a further torturous kilometre was tacked on to the existing road as a deviation, taking the riders up to 2,642 metres. Both the 1972 and 2019 additions took the peloton on the south approach via Briançon. Friebe says the south-north route from the lottery is less famous, but equally awe-inspiring. Steadier in its upper portion, with just an evil final kilometre above the tunnel through the summit. Towards the top, in particular, the giant rocky wedge of the 3,228-metre Grand Galibier commands the view. The Galibier's inclusion in 1972's Stage 14A is perhaps just one of the reasons Patrick Brady from Peloton magazine called the split-stage text-message-breakup cruel. The first half consisted of 34 uphill kilometres up the Loteray and Galibier before a fast 17-kilometre descent to the finish. Guimar won the sprint at Manetier-le-Ban after 13 kilometres before Multini whittled down the pack on the Loteray, But it was the Dutchman Zotemelk who then rode clear to summit the Galibier in pole position. Zotermilk led Frenchman Raymond de Lille by five seconds, with Portugal's Joaquim Agostino and Dutchman Edward Janssens at 15 seconds, and Merckx riding more than five seconds behind alongside his Belgian teammate Jos Deschenmaker. Poor Cagna was peddling squares, two minutes adrift, suffering with a cold he'd picked up in the Pyrenees. Merckx, Agostino and Janssens caught and passed De Lille on the descent before Merckx rode clear like a demon to join forces with Zotermilk, 5 kilometers from the finish. According to the French journalist Pierre Douglas, Merckx was riding like a man possessed on the descent of the Glibier. I was on the back of the motorcycle. The speedometer read 100km per hour. Eddie overtook us. I thought I was seeing things. At the finish, he said to me, I could have gone quicker, you know. I was spinning. I needed another gear. At the finish in Valois, Zotermelk launched the sprint early to open up a small gap over Merckx, who fought back to win by a bike length. It was the Cannibals' fifth victory of the race, wrapped up before lunchtime. Guimar came home at 54 seconds, Polydor at 1 minute 34, and Ocania, his tour dream in tatters, at 2 minutes and 11. The immediate aftermath was taken up with the small matter of Stage 14b, a 151km ride that took the peloton immediately up the Telegraph and then the Col du Grand Coucheron and Col du Granier, ahead of the finish in aix les bains There was little action 5km from the summit of the final climb, where Merckx pulled clear with Guimard, Zotermilk, Lucien van Imper, Felice Jumondi and a few others, but not, noticeably, a Kanya. When the leaders contested the sprint, it was Guimar who pipped Merckx by a tyre width to extend his lead in the green jersey standings and deny the Belgian his second win in the space of a few hours, and his third in quick succession. A day later, Merckx and Guimard would renew their sprint rivalry atop Mont Rivar, in what resulted in one of the few embarrassing moments of Merckx's career. Thinking he had won the uphill sprint, the Belgian lifted his arm in celebration only to allow the Frenchman to pip him to the line. Acania, meanwhile, had crossed the line in the second split stage six minutes down and coughing up blood. The cold that he'd picked up in the Pyrenees had become a lung infection. Trailing Merckx now by 12 minutes and 23 seconds in fifth place, the Spaniard reluctantly quit the tour under orders of the race doctor. It was his third DNF in four years. With Acania out, Merckx's only remaining rival for yellow came in the form of Guimar, himself six minutes in arrears. But the last-ditch win over Merckx at Le Rivard was to prove the Frenchman's last moment of glory in the race. Two days later, he too had to withdraw. Guimar, it turned out, had been destroying his knees, which were ravaged by tendonitis from using gears that were too big. According to Merckx's biographer, William Fotheringham, the Frenchman was taking xylocaine injections used to numb tissue every two hours merely to keep him on the road. And, after stage 17, when he was trailing Merckx by 7 minutes and 58 seconds, it all proved too much. Many fans may point at Merckx's glory and flag up that it was done in the absence of his major rivals. But, as Fotheringham points out in his book, Merckx, Half Man, Half Bike, the difficulties both Guimar and Akanya suffered suggests they were both simply physically incapable of taking Merckx on, while Akanya clearly could not handle it mentally. After a sixth stage win in the individual time trial to Versailles, Merckx went on to win his fourth tour by almost 11 minutes on Gimondi, securing an historic second Giro Tour double in the process. The Belgian also won the green jersey that he inherited from Guimard after the Frenchman's withdrawal. Guimard, who had won the jersey on the opening stage, was brought to the peloton to present the Mayo Vert to his rival in Paris but the Belgian, in a show of sportsmanship, gave it back to him and said he deserved it more. A gesture that reduced Guimar to tears. Journalist Jean-Paul Olivier says Merckx's 1972 Tour win was a masterpiece of clear-headed racing. And, according to Fotheringham, it was also a masterpiece of attritional racing. He gained time on Arcania on all bar four of the 15 stages that the Spaniard was in the race, ensuring that the psychological pressure never let up. As it happened, July 1972 would be the final Acania Merckx confrontation on the tour. The following year, with Merckx sitting out of the race, the Spaniard finally wore the yellow jersey in Paris. A rematch between the two feuding rivals never happened, and they famously made up during a spirited drinking session on a plane to Geneva just a year later. Merckx kept on winning in 1972, following up his victory in the Giro de Lombardia by smashing the hour record in Mexico. His win rate that season was 37%, with him standing on the top step of the podium in 51 of 137 races. He also finished in the top three in a staggering 57% of his races that year. It's difficult to argue with Peloton magazine's assessment of Merckx's 1972 as the greatest season ever. In the words of Patrick Brady, it was a year on which an entire career could be built. Two grand tours, three monuments and the hour record. Though Copy and Oncatil could claim the Tour Giro double and both set the hour record, Merckx was the first and only rider to achieve all three in the same year. As some pointed out, after beating the entire peloton, when Merckx set out to conquer the hour record, he vanquished the one person he hadn't previously humbled, himself. And of course, it wouldn't be the last Giro Tour double of Merckx's career. The cannibal repeated the feat for a third time in 1974 the year of his record-equalling fifth Tour Triumph. While only a select few have done the Giro Tour double, Merckx is the only one to have done it on no fewer than three occasions. This has been another episode of Recycled by Eurosport, written by Felix Lowe and narrated by me, Graham Wilgos. Produced by Pete Burton. You can read more from Felix on Twitter at Saddleblaze and you can hear more from me at Graham Wilgos. Plus, you can follow Eurosport at Eurosport underscore UK and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Join us for our next episode when we'll tell the story of the first South American to win a grand tour, Colombia's Luis Lucho Herrera. We also delve into the stories of race-fixing, debilitating saddle sores, and kidnapping around his 1987 Vuelta España title. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe, share, and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen